War and Peace, Second Epilogue, Chapter 5, read for LibriVox.org by Laurie Ann Walden. The life of the nations is not contained in the lives of a few men, for the connection between those men and the nations has not been found. The theory that this connection is based on the transference of the collective will of a people to certain historical personages is a hypothesis unconfirmed by the experience of history. The theory of the transference of the collective will of the people to historic persons may perhaps explain much in the domain of jurisprudence and be essential for its purposes. But in its application to history, as soon as revolutions, conquests, or civil wars occur, that is, as soon as history begins, that theory explains nothing. The theory seems irrefutable just because the act of transference of the people's will cannot be verified, for it never occurred. Whatever happens, and whoever may stand at the head of affairs, the theory can always say that such and such a person took the lead because the collective will was transferred to him. The replies this theory gives to historical questions are like the replies of a man who, watching the movements of a herd of cattle and paying no attention to the varying quality of the pasturage in different parts of the field, or to the driving of the herdsman, should attribute the direction the herd takes to what animal happens to be at its head. The herd goes in that direction because the animal in front leads it and the collective will of all the other animals is vested in that leader. That is what historians of the first class say, those who assume the unconditional transference of the people's will. If the animals leading the herd change, this happens because the collective will of all the animals is transferred from one leader to another, according to whether the animal is or is not leading them in the direction selected by the whole herd. Such is the reply of historians who assume that the collective will of the people is delegated to rulers under conditions which they regard as known. With this method of observation, it often happens that the observer, influenced by the direction he himself prefers, regards those as leaders who, owing to the people's change of direction, are no longer in front, but on one side, or even in the rear. If the animals in front are continually changing, and the direction of the whole herd is constantly altered, this is because, in order to follow a given direction, the animals transfer their will to the animals that have attracted our attention, and to study the movements of the herd, we must watch the movements of all the prominent animals moving on all sides of the herd. So say the third class of historians, who regard all historical persons, from monarchs to journalists, as the expression of their age. The theory of the transference of the will of the people to historic persons is merely a paraphrase, a restatement of the question in other words. What causes historical events? Power. What is power? Power is the collective will of the people transferred to one person. Under what condition is the will of the people delegated to one person? On condition that that person expresses the will of the whole people. That is, power is power. In other words, power is a word the meaning of which we do not understand. If the realm of human knowledge were confined to abstract reasoning, then, having subjected to criticism the explanation of power that juridical science gives us, humanity would conclude that power is merely a word and has no real existence. But to understand phenomena, man has, besides abstract reasoning, experience by which he verifies his reflections. And experience tells us that power is not merely a word, but an actually existing phenomenon. 
not to speak of the fact that no description of the collective activity of men can do without the conception of power, the existence of power is proved both by history and by observing contemporary events. Whenever an event occurs, a man appears, or men appear, by whose will the event seems to have taken place. Napoleon III issues a decree, and the French go to Mexico. The King of Prussia and Bismarck issue decrees, and an army enters Bohemia. Napoleon I issues a decree, and an army enters Russia. Alexander I gives a command, and the French submit to the Bourbons. Experience shows us that whatever event occurs, it is always related to the will of one, or of several men, who have decreed it. The historians, in accord with the old habit of acknowledging divine intervention in human affairs, want to see the cause of events in the expression of the will of someone endowed with power. But that supposition is not confirmed either by reason or by experience. On the one side, reflection shows that the expression of a man's will, his words, are only part of the general activity expressed in an event, as, for instance, in a war or a revolution. And so, without assuming an incomprehensible supernatural force, a miracle, one cannot admit that words can be the immediate cause of the movements of millions of men. On the other hand, even if we admitted that words could be the cause of events, history shows that the expression of the will of historical personages does not, in most cases, produce any effect. That is to say, their commands are often not executed, and sometimes the very opposite of what they order occurs. Without admitting divine intervention in the affairs of humanity, we cannot regard power as the cause of events. Power, from the standpoint of experience, is merely the relation that exists between the expression of someone's will and the execution of that will by others. To explain the conditions of that relationship, we must first establish a conception of the expression of will, referring it to man and not to the deity. If the deity issues a command, expresses his will, as ancient history tells us, the expression of that will is independent of time and is not caused by anything for the divinity is not controlled by an event. But speaking of commands that are the expression of the will of men, acting in time and in relation to one another, to explain the connection of commands with events we must restore, 1. The condition of all that takes place, the continuity of movement in time, both of the events and of the person who commands, and 2. The inevitability of the connection between the person commanding and those who execute his command. End of chapter 5. This recording is in the public domain.